Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Thanks so much for tuning in to Web3 with me. It is our mission here to educate, and we realize that some basics of Web3, like WTF is a digital wallet, might be helpful for you to know. We will be releasing a series of short videos on YouTube and Reels to help cover these high-level topics. We hope they're useful for us, and feel free to leave us feedback. My guest today is Giuseppe Stuto, who is the first repeat guest on Web3 with me. As a reminder, he's a first U.S.-born member of his family who is from Italy. He's a deep technical thinker who does a great job of using analogies to explain his outlook on investing in Web3. He founded his first company fresh out of college and sold it to DraftKings a few years later. He started angel investing while at DraftKings and ultimately partnered up to form 186 Ventures, where he's managing partner currently. He plays on his unique technical experience as a founder to help provide value to his portfolio companies. We're going to go deep on the current state of Web3 investment and the Web3 perception problem and how it may be rooted in Web3 ego and suffering from trying to be novel in any way possible. LFG, baby. Let's start vibing. Well, welcome back to the show, Giuseppe. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, my first repeat guest. Super excited to jump in. It's and great see. to be on. I'm, I'm surprised I, I didn't scare you away with my, my thoughts. So it's, it's really nice to be on here the second it, time. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we last time met in the middle at this idea that you got to progressively decentralize. Um, it's yeah. it's about taking little steps to make to reduce the friction between those technological barriers, the security barriers that Web three poses right now. Um, and I'm excited to see what the current state of one eight six is and developer tools. Uh, because we're just deeper and deeper in a bear market. So I think a lot of people are building. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to this. We don't have to start with your founding story, um, but if you want to just give like a 30-second overview of who you are in case this is someone's first episode, that'd be helpful. Sure. Uh, so I am a former founder uh, uh, that you know, exited did that whole thing. And today I am a early stage VC. So I'm the co-founder of 186 Ventures. We're a pre-seed seed fund uh, that invests across software primarily in the U.S. And we do some emerging market investing. So think fintech, developer tools, Web3, um, certain verticals of enterprise SaaS, consumer experiences. So fairly sector agnostic, but we're really good at zero to one. It's where our backgrounds and experiences lie. And that's what we focus on today. And about 40% of our portfolio uh, is Web3. So I, I personally spend a lot of time in and around that world in various uh, vectors. 
Yeah, I think when we we put it in terms of credits last time, which was unique, uh, and you said about 50 of your 100 credits that you allot uh, were spent in Web3. Is it still pretty consistent? I would say it's pretty consistent, yes. Um, that is accurate. I would say from a, from a research and, and time standpoint, for sure. And even, uh, I don't have the numbers exact precisely, but I would say we're still right around that from a ratio standpoint in terms of dollars deployed. Nice, nice. Um, One of the really cool um, kind of visuals or landscapes that you gave last time was this two by two that you you view Web3, right? Um, There was the asset innovation and liquidity solutions, uh, the DeFi uh, quadrant, the ownership of fractionalized data, which would be like NFTs and stuff like that. Uh, and then picks and shovels, the developer tools and infrastructure. Um, I'd love to dive in. I know you're mainly focused on the last one. So if you want to spend more time in that quadrant than the other three, I'd love to get like just a general update on your thoughts around that kind of framing. Yeah, sure. So I would say it's still very consistent. Um, we've been spending, we're kind of focused on the same thing, spending the same amount of time on uh, developer tools, infrastructure that's lacking, uh, that really is needed in order for us to have a vibrant, cost-effective, uh, high-performing new economy in many ways, right? That being more decentralized. Um, so, you know, one, we recently, just, I'll give an example, actually. We invested in a company called Empiric Network uh, in August, and they are a new decentralized blockchain oracle Starting built on Starknet, so Starknet's a zero knowledge roll up product uh, addressing various elements of scalability issues for the Ethereum blockchain. And uh, what Empiric is doing, alongside some others, although I think they're, they are the first true decentralized oracle uh, built on a zero knowledge um, roll up product. They're part of the kind of lacking tools and infrastructure needed for us to truly have a modular data settlement and execution layer, which I think uh, is a proven model to stand up a global economy, right? It's kind of the way the traditional financial world operates. And I don't see, and many others don't see much of a reason why it should differ, except obviously in more of its decentralized counterpart. Um, So that's an example of stuff that we spend a lot of time in and think is incredibly fascinating and useful and needed today. Uh, Then uh, what else? I mean, I think on the... Uh, on the DeFi side of things, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, in many ways tightly connected to what I was just referring to. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there. Obviously, we've learned a lot over the last 180 days in terms of, you know, how we should approach decentralized lending and how we shouldn't. And some of the, you know, best practices that we should probably take from the, you know, as much as we want to look down upon it or, or whoever, and not me, but I know others, the Web2, the centralized world, much you want to say lending is broken there, it really isn't. Uh, I would say relative to what you can do on crypto in the crypto world. You know, if I want to, even with interest rates being as high as they are, you're better off going to get a loan from a traditional bank uh, using fiat to buy a home than you are to use your Bitcoin to go get, you know, uh, uh, a loan on a house. So, um, so yeah, so I would say a lot of that, the building blocks, we're going back to the basics, which... I'm now going to kind of jump a little out of scope of your question, but I just, I do think it's, it's quite organically related uh, and it's a top of mind because it's, it's um, part of an email I just wrote before I got on this, 
which is why I think we're seeing a bit of a um, relative pause or slowdown with some allocators, crypto native allocators, right? This is a, this is an, un, a baseless hypothesis I'm throwing out there, purely anecdotal. <laughs> we'll go back to um, this in a, in a few months and uh, figure out yeah, whether exactly. it comes true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, no, even ourselves, right? I think, yeah. you know, I'm not saying that, you know, it's not worth continuing to invest uh, in things that are crypto related. I still think it's, you know, we're going to look back in 20, 30 years and we're going to say, at least at the early stage, which is really the only stage I can speak to, we're going to say, wow, a lot of the biggest wins were in that space. I continue to believe that. However, you know, if you look at what people were throwing dollars at at scale six to nine months ago, a lot of consumer oriented projects, a lot of um, NFT projects focused on the creator economy, right? Um, you're seeing a lot of pullback there. Why? Because we're just missing infrastructure. We're missing infrastructure to create vibrant user experiences that will attract masses, that will that will generate proper enterprise value, right? For these businesses that are creating these experiences. So if you don't think that there's going to be adoption on those things because there's an inherent lack of infrastructure, you're probably not going to invest in them as much. Um, so, you know, there's only so much infrastructure to be built. There's a lot of it, but there's, it's finite, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, it's, it, that's an interesting point. I mean, the, uh, a lot of my recent conversations have been around the flow blockchain, um, which has kind of taken the main stage in terms of ad- having mainstream adoption, right? Um, they've kind of taken the slow approach to decentralizing, which has led to a lot of the decentralization maxis and the early Web3 DGENs writing them off, right? Um, partnering with big corporates and, and stuff like that. But sure. one, one thing that they, they are doing well is that they are understanding that you have to abstract away the technology to a degree in order to get more users on there. And right now with no one like really too focused on consumer, it seems like they're kind of the the one, the mainstay, right? Like they're still making big partnerships. They're still providing products to people that aren't necessarily Web3 native, right? I don't know. We we talked very briefly about Dapper Labs last time, um, but I don't know if you have any updates on on that blockchain or any thoughts you want to share around uh, what Roham and team is doing over there. Sure. I think I'll speak less specific. I'm familiar with Dapper, big fan of what they've done. I think they're one of the, um, you know, early pioneers of showing actual usage for, for anything that's consumer related. And I think the, uh, the flow blockchain has obviously done a lot of interesting things. And uh, I think what I'll, uh, so I, I have great admiration for them as a team, but I think less specifics, I think it's more meaningful to the, to the topic at hand, less specific to flow, less specific to Dapper, more specific to the model that, that you just described, right? Partnering with big corporates or having elements of centralization, uh, you know, with the kind of goal in mind of adoption. I think that we need to embrace that more. Um, I, I, it, we talked about this, I think, last time. And if we didn't, I'm surprised because I always talk about this. But I think ultimately the, the philosophical rejection of centralization, it is disappearing and it needs to disappear more. Uh, what do I mean by that? Because ultimately, you know, what Flow and, and or what the app is doing with Flow and the other products are bringing to market 
Uh, and then even just going to look on the financial service side of things with some of the protocols we're doing in DeFi and so on. What, they're all meant to bring new experiences to the table, right? So whether it's on the media side of things, you know, you're you're building an entirely new uh, mechanism for bringing media experiences to the world where it's more equitable for creators, for consumers, for whatever. And then even on the financial services side of things. And we need to keep those goals in mind above anything else on a relative basis. Give an example, not specific to Dapper and, and what Flo is doing, but more so around the model where some, you know, partnering with corporates, things like that. Why is it so looked down upon? And I'll give an example. A lot of this world is unbanked, unfortunately. And it's unbanked because a lot of the traditional rails that we have built only cater to the haves, uh, the haves of bank account history, credit history, all these things. There is a dislocation uh, and people that need access to certain financial services do not have access to them because the system that is currently in place, centralized or not, it actually has nothing to do with the system in place does not cater to that. So the goal of building a, a set of just decentralized infrastructure uh, that can better cater to the have nots in the sense of financial services and banking and so on. Um, we, we need to keep in mind what are those goals. Okay, so there's X number of people in the world that don't have banking. Okay, how do and we want to in, we want to decrease that number, right? We want to increase the Y, the number of people who do have banking, and that's all that matters. And I think that if someone sets out to build a decentralized blockchain, and along the way they partner with centralized entities or they work with centralized authorities. In embedded regulation, the only thing that should matter is the people that don't have bank accounts. Is that number going down? And I think if we don't focus on that, we get into this never-ending philosophical debate. And guess what? The people that lose are the people that we set out to help to begin with. And um, I think, you know, what I would say to critics of, you know, Dapper and Flow and anyone else, I think let's focus on why they are doing what they're doing to begin with. Now, along the way, there might be, you know, things like you can look at certain data sets where, oh, the rich are getting richer, whatever else. But again, let's focus on the one or two KPIs that we set out to solve for. And are we doing what we said we were doing? Someone has a better idea to do it in an even more decentralized way while achieving the same quantitative goals. Great. But I think it's very unfair to criticize those that are pushing the needle on some of the world's biggest problems just right. for the sake of some philosophy. Yeah, that's that's what I was exactly what I was going to allude to is the fact that you need to separate uh, the core tenants of a solution from what you are trying to do, right? And why you're doing it. Uh, it's, 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 it is important. There's like, like we did discuss last time, the, the level of centralization should never really impact how effective a solution is, right? Um, you know, this web three world is, it's, it's a way to improve certain things, right? Uh, it is not a way to decentralize everything contrary to what Maxi say, right? Um, so I think that 
you know, having this time, this time where we have just been in an extended bear market and we're probably going to be in one for a while longer, uh, people are starting to focus more on that and less on, you know, how can sure. we, how can we like reach these philosophical tenets <clears throat> of Web3 um, that, I mean, really, let's be real, are just trickle downs from Bitcoin maxis, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then to be clear, I think we wouldn't have had as much of a a robust kind of for the initial block as a bitcoin right it wouldn't be where it is today if maxis didn't approach building out the technology in the way that they do they're they're uncompromising on certain tenants which is what inherently makes bitcoin and ethereum and to an extent other blockchains as secure as they are and as much as people want to say they're not scalable it takes time to scale something that is incredibly secure. And quite frankly, some of the layer two stuff I'm now going off to Ethereum that is being built is, is setting the groundwork um, and not bridge stuff, but layer two stuff is setting the groundwork for scaling out a lot of the secure infrastructure. We wouldn't have that. I strongly believe we wouldn't have that if it were not for Maxis. But to your point, uh, we need to separate out what makes for building robust technology and what takes for quite frankly advancing some of the world's biggest problems because we can theorize all we want. I'm going to go back to that thing. How many people in the world have access to banking? That works, okay? Saying that you can spin up a decentralized wallet and you can be custody of your own digital assets doesn't help people put more food on a table. It doesn't help people purchase a home, right? And those are the things we need to look at, the actual use cases, not just, uh, you know, uh, applications in a vacuum. Nice. Yeah, that's it's true. It's true. Um, you know, one thing I want to definitely lean into a little bit on this episode is to talk about the flow of capital. Uh, you, you, you touched on briefly how you're seeing less flow into these consumer arenas, which makes sense because there's just less demand, right? Uh, less people are participating. A lot of people are dropping out from participating that were doing it before. Um, is that capital standing still? Is it going outside of Web3? Where do you see it? Is it going into the developer arena, the, the infrastructure side of things? Um, where is it going? Sure. It's interesting. I, I don't have a perfect answer here, but I certainly have a lot of thoughts. Um, so there's a lot of capital. Let's take a step back. There's a lot of capital that came into Web3 in you know various ways. Retail consumers, let's just set that aside. Let's talk about the institutional side of things. You have crypto native firms. Um, so think the Panteras of the world and so on, where their mandate is to raise money from institutional investors or whoever their investors are, might be themselves to an extent, and deploy it into crypto only projects. Then there are, are more generalist VC firms like 186 Ventures uh, at the early stage. And then there's multi-stage firms like Sequoia, for example, even A16Z. They're not crypto native, right? Uh, that invest in part into the crypto ecosystem. And then you have corporates. Now, I'm seeing a lot of corporate sponsors still very active, still funding early developers that are building on interesting things. Now, I will say, though, it, we, we need to be careful when looking at their dollars. They are not, in my opinion, the same color, more or less, than the dollars coming out of crypto-native VCs or just VCs in general and institutions. Yeah, institutional side, yeah. Because, yeah, because institutional investors are usually, not always, but most of the time, definitely more often than corporates, 
investing for outsized returns. And FTX sometimes might just be investing because it stabilizes a certain part of the Web3 ecosystem that is important to them, but also important to builders where it's not about monetary gain. It's about let's not, you know, make sure, let's make sure these comp- five companies don't dissolve overnight and then that talent goes elsewhere and whatever, right? So I think from, so we'll break that up into two. Institutions and VCs, I'm still seeing plenty of dollars flow into crypto. They're certainly being more calculated. Um, so the, uh, the term sheet, which is a, a newsletter that I think it's Fortune puts out every day or whatever, every other day, just wrote about how A16Z, they're now, you know, on a relative basis, slowing down the number of crypto deals they're doing and so on. Um, I, I think it's healthy. I think the takeaway for me is not they're stopping and they're, they don't think as highly about crypto. It's more so they put out a lot of money in a lot of these projects and it just takes time to build. And going back to, this is not my opinion, not what A16Z says, um, but earlier to what I alluded to when we when we started this conversation, which is there's only so much stuff to fund. We need to wait and see, right? So I think there's more waiting and seeing happening uh, and, and, and less about let's just write checks like crazy. And I think the corporates, meaning the FTXs of the world, the Amadeus of the world and so on, they're still doing, you know, they're very active in, you know, and I don't think they're slowing down writing checks. Um, yeah, but. yeah. I think uh, from from the little bit of research I've done, I, I agree with you on the corporate strategy side. I think it's more about enabling people to build than it is about enabling people to grow, if that makes sense. So like you'll see a lot smaller checks that will come from the corporate side um, just to get those companies over the hump so that they can then seek real VC institutional money to actually grow the business. Exactly. And I, I forget who someone made a LinkedIn post recently uh, that hits on how, you know, we're telling founders to extend their runway, you know, because, you know, crypto firms or people are just writing smaller checks and so on. And part of me was like, huh, that's kind of the way it should be. Right. <laughs> you know, venture capital is meant to fund experimentation and it's meant to catalyze growth. OK, the latter we can all agree that there's not much actual usage growth going on, right? We're missing a lot of infrastructure. So let's set that aside. The former funding experimentation, we're talking about software ultimately. Uh, you know, we're, at the end of the yes, this is high, it's highly complex software in some cases. So if you look at a lot of the stuff that's, you know, low level cryptography, fine. Like that's a little bit more complicated. But I would argue that literature is becoming more and more available. Uh, and it's a technology is becoming more and more understood, meaning uh, people are building it faster than ever. And if you're not you know, putting up hardware, you can only use so much money to hire software engineers before your team becomes, you know, gets to a point of diminishing returns on productivity. And there's right? only so many software engineers, right? Well, that too, exactly. There's only <laughs> so many software engineers. So I think, yeah, a lot of companies are premature to hire partnership teams, BD teams, marketing, all that. And it's, this is one thing where the maxis have it right, where it's like, you know, oh, you're, you're a market. Yeah. And then nothing against people that are, are not engineers, but I think there's a time and a place for those folks. And if your mandate is to build robust technology uh, that's, you know, not in production, more in test environment, I mean, you can only do so much marketing, right? You just got to build. 
That's a, a great segue into something that I wanted to discuss with you, actually. Okay, let's um, hear it. So since we last met, uh, I have actually shifted the framing of my content a bit. Um, I have okay. gone from the broad, let's learn everything about Web3 from everybody participating everywhere, uh, to the idea of fixing a specific problem, which I see as a perception problem. Um, the perception problem, I think, can be fixed in multiple ways, but uh, the, the part that I'm focusing on is really from the framing, the narrative, the terminology standpoint, making it less technical. And I think if you look at the people mm -hmm. that are participating in the space, the, the solopreneurs, uh, these smaller companies, there's so many that are just dedicated to education, right? Because there's such a high burden to learn how to be in the space. Um, and then if they, if they aren't just dedicated to education, me, right, then they have a very large component for education in their business model, right? They've got teams for this. Another really popular thing that you see in Web3 that's not, it's less popular that you see outside of it is community management, right? Community manage, communities are the brand. Communities are these companies. And so you're starting to see a lot of community managers. Well, a community manager's job is more or less to manage users, and consumers and customers, right? Like, so when you roll that idea of what education does and what community managers do, to me, you could simplify it and say it's all one big marketing problem, right? So what I want to understand from you, I guess, is one, do you agree with that? That would be number one. But like two, how do you think about it at a 186 level, right? Positioning yourself to be a institutional fund that allows people to thrive and help them in that aspect. And then how do you think about it when you're working with your companies? I know yours are a little bit more technical based, so this is going to be a little bit more nuanced than what you would see in like a consumer, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Mm, this is a pretty cool, pretty cool wavelength. Um, let's break that down. And I might remind, I might ask you to remind me of the second question, although hopefully I won't forget it because it is something I think about a lot <laughs> so on the first part. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'll go with the first part. So the first part, um, yes, it is all a marketing challenge. Now, I will say, though, there is a nuance, though, with having – so we're, are we talking specifically about blockchain projects that have uh, a token network in particular? I, I'm talking about just the general perception of Web3 right now, yeah. which to okay. me is very convoluted. Right. Because it, it is. is very technical because the builders up to this point have been devs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I get what you're saying. It's a good point. Oh, yeah. This is a really good, good point. Um, it's making me think. Yeah. I think the, the, the better way of tackling this then is um, and, and not because it's a viewpoint that I've had for some time. I think the industry, I can't remember if we talked about this, but it is a topic I'm incredibly passionate about, uh, Zach. The, the industry convolutes itself uh, by, by labeling itself as crypto or Web3. What do I mean by that? At the end of the day, um, yeah, you know, you can look at people in the nineties when the internet was becoming a thing and people were, were, were building software, like, oh, it's an internet company. It's an internet company. But the reality is the best way to describe a business is the industry that it's tackling. So I do think part of it is that we don't label, let's say Uniswap, right? It's a financial services company. 
as much as we, we don't want to look at it that way, it's a fintech. It's a financial technology. It is, uh, it is upgrading and it is advancing today's financial services. Um, and I think that the industry, for whatever reasons, I'm not going to say I definitely have an idea of who is to blame for these things, but I won't label it. But the industry <laughs> does not embrace, just drop the whole crypto Web3 thing. Like, What industry are you investing in, right? Are you investing in fintech? Are you investing in developer tools? If we start that way, it then makes things a bit more, how can I put it, easier to understand, right? Because then you can start to think, okay, well, if it's a fintech, what kind of, a mar- what kind of marketing challenges are they facing? If it's a developer tool, what kind of marketing challenges are they facing, right? Now, that I asked the question of the whole token network part and the blockchain part earlier because I think understanding that is, is important because there's a nuance that comes with that. So what do I mean? So uh, let's say if you're a financial services company, there's certain marketing you need to so – let's say you're a, a B2C financial services company, uh, Uniswap to an extent actually – you know, part of their marketing challenges are you need to make sure you're creating a brand that people can trust, they can rely on. You need to make sure that your user or customer acquisition is sound and cost effective. Uh, you also, there, you know, it is a, a token network of sorts, right? So you actually need, it's not that they're investors, but you need kind of an IR type of team, right? Mm-hmm. Akin to being a public company. So when you're a public company, your marketing team expands depending on how it's structured. Might be under investor relations, might be under marketing, right? Where it's, it's a shareholder brand. And then you got to think about that too as part of your marketing strategy. But I think that we need to get better as an industry, just like breaking this down into things that make sense. And we don't do a good job of that. So to your point, I agree with you. Uh, there are marketing challenges. Uh, these are all marketing challenges to an extent. And I think that depending on the industry you're in, the customers you service, whether enterprise or consumer, and the makeup of your product, are you just a blockchain? Are you just a piece of infrastructure? Or is part of your product a token, a utility token? Or does that have to be a utility token? Where now you have a lot of retail people that are holding it. And whether you like it or not, they're not just your users, but in many ways they're they are your investors. The They're your investors. They're your shareholders, right? So you got to market to them too. We won't submit um, this to the government when they're considering yeah, the legislation. Yeah, there we go. So, so, but the thing is, but the thing is, like people, people aren't just straightforward about that. We're trying to recreate the wheel in ways that just doesn't need to be recreated. So now, and I, I, I'm happy to go back and forth on that, just to further clarify if you have any questions about that, Zach. But going to your second point now, 186, what do we do with our companies? Exactly what I just talked about. We, we don't try to overcomplicate it, and we just talk about it in the forum. This is where I think VCs are useful. They're important in the sense of, important in the sense of the type of value and insight they can bring to a founder and operator that has not built an organization today. I don't care if it's a DAO or not. These are problems that have been solved before. We're solving them in different ways. There are people like me that have tried to solve them in the past, failed and succeeded at solving them. And we just need to make sure that people, people who are much smarter than me and will build much bigger companies than I ever have or ever could have dreamed of building, just get feedback and advice from people like me, right? Because why you know, overcomplicate it? So that's what we do. We have a knowledge base of 186 for our companies where we just talk about, all right, well, what are your marketing challenges? Okay, who are your stakeholders? You have users, you have customers, 
you know, you want to make sure you're building an employer brand. Again, you're a DAO, doesn't matter. Contributor brand, whatever we want to call it. It's the same things. Do people trust you? Do they think they can grow their careers with you? Do they think they're going to be working with smart people? That's employer brand, regardless of whether you're centralized or not. So we need to do a better job of just taking those basics and applying them to a new paradigm of technology, right? Last point I'll make, I don't, and I alluded to this earlier, to me, crypto web three, and now everyone's talking about GPT-3, generative AI, even though it's been around for some time, same thing. It's the same thing. It's a new form of building technology. It's a new form of approaching problems. uh, And, you know, maybe we should just treat them that way. Yeah, that that last point has been a, a hot button topic in the communities I'm a part of, as you know. There, most yeah. of them, including the the beans, like we're on the consumer side, if you will, right? Um, and like you know, if you are using AI to do things, like are, are you really the 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 writer or the artist or the this? And one of the super interesting analogies that I heard uh, was, think about when they first invented the camera, right? When they first invented the camera, anybody can take a picture, right? Even now, anybody can take a picture, but there's only certain photographers that are making a living doing it, right? And there's certain photographers that are considered artists, and there's certain photographers that are just considered business people, call them like wedding photographers, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, that I think that's a really useful analogy to think about AI as like enabling somebody. Personally, I just got access to this awesome tool called Lex. It's, it leverages GPT-3 uh, and you can, lit- you can write a few sentences and then put it in a command and it writes a whole nother paragraph that's relevant to those sentences. Uh, I've never heard of Lex. Yeah, they just launched Every, uh, which is a, a big newsletter, um, just launched it uh, as their own product and I got early access to it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Nice. Um, it's, it's, it's a good way to alleviate writer's block. Right. Um, if you're sitting there and you're like right in the middle of like a good thread or a good blog post or what have you, sure. uh, maybe you're prepping for another TED talk or a podcast. Right. Um, you, you go in there and you kind of put your thoughts down and it'll just kind of give you it's not perfect, but it'll give you an idea. Right. And I don't I hope that no one is just copying pasting. But, um, you know, that's, that's yeah. the reality is we we actually it's funny we we backed the company not out of the fund it was before we had the fund but 186 was a an investment brand before we had uh an institutional vehicle it was just julian my co-founder and i angel investing together and we invested in a company called phrase f-r-a-s-e dot i-o they've been acquired since but they were we invested in them in 2019 they're doing very similar stuff right generative ai Create yeah. content easier and faster with you know AI. It helps you optimize content depending on your goals and so on. There's definitely an application there for sure. All I think about is the meme from South Park. They took our jobs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, but going- uh, yeah, it's interesting, man. That's an interesting. Um, I don't know if conundrum is the right word to use, but definitely trend. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think what we'll hopefully end up seeing is, uh, you know, just people like productivity going up, right? Like just seeing people with the like augmenting the human labor more, right? Like we already have computer in our pocket everywhere we go. Uh, you know, Elon Musk once called that being a cyborg, uh, which I don't necessarily disagree with, um, you know, because you have anything in the world you can access right there on your phone. Um, but this is just enabling us even more to kind of, you know, whether it's, you know, 
put out content or maybe at one point write code, right? Um, letting the AI kind of take over. Um, but anyways, back to your uh, kind of original point. It was a little bit of a side note. Um, it's interesting the way you talk about it. It's kind of like if we're going to make it palatable, right, for people and understandable for people, you've got to put it in terms that they're familiar with, whether that is a vertical whether that is the job to be done, right? Whether that is the team that is doing the job, the pain points that your product solves, they aren't changing, right? Um, I, I've gone through pretty extensively how Web3 applies to like impact and nonprofits and stuff like that. And you aren't solving a different problem, right? You're still solving donor retention, donor engagement and all this stuff, right? Like it's, these, these are still the core problems for industries, but nobody's phrasing it that way. They're just saying Web3 is going to make it better, right? <laughs> or they're going to make it easier or something like that, where they should be phrasing it in the, the, the pain points that, that people are familiar with, um, which I, I imagine you help your founders do when they do, if they do start to lead, let go astray when it comes to like how they are wording things and how they are positioning themselves. Yeah, for sure. And I think... Um... You know, one thing in particular, you're right. That is, I, I think it's it's a it's a messaging communication problem, and I think part of it. And I'm not trying to say anything bad about DAOs. What I'm about to say, but I think part of it is we've and, and it's we've gotten we get taken away sometimes or carried away. Excuse me, with the philosophy behind certain things, right? I think with Web three and crypto in general, I think that. Um, you know, there's such enthusiasm, which is great, but there's an intense amount of passion and enthusiasm with which people drive the uh, mandate of a DAO forward. Now, what gets lost, though, is, you know, a, uh, I would say, useful comparison to what has worked in centralized organizations in the past. Uh, and looking at, well, how do divisions and companies, how are they structured, right? Let's just look at what works. And I think a lot of people just, they don't spend enough time studying that because what they'll do is they'll immediately associate with bureaucracy, hierarchy, and centralization. Um, and I do think that the, the solution is, and we do this with our companies, we have one company in particular, um, you know, where their lead investor, they have not launched their DAO yet, but they will be launching a DAO. Their community is already very, very decentralized, right? And that's definitely their mandate. When I meet with the founders every, whatever it is, every two weeks or so, we have a, a, a doc that breaks down their company. I'm going to call it a company and what they're trying to, to do. And it's broken down by people operations, product engineering, marketing business development right sales, okay yeah. the sales the word DAO doesn't exist in any of that now <laughs> we can then take that and yet take the application of that and then break it down into how we should do that in a decentralized construct yeah totally yeah. separate conversation but let's just talk about what needs to get done yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now this is going to align with work streams yeah but for whatever reason, Zach, and this is even part of DAOs that I collaborate and contribute with, for whatever reasons, I don't know. There's some dislocation and disconnect. And I look at sometimes how DAOs operate, and I get so frustrated with how inefficient 
and sometimes, quite frankly, how ineffective they are to achieving the goals they set out to do. I don't know why, but I can tell you for companies we work with, we are very uh, just straightforward with, let's talk about what needs to get done. And we're going to do it in a way that's just very clear. Now, in terms of how you go do this in a decentralized fashion, totally different problem set, which is important and we just yeah. talked about, but you know, it's a, a different part of the implementation. Uh, are you, have you studied at all the, the idea of progressive decentralization that Jesse Walden put forth, uh, I think it was in 2018, 2019? Mm, I'm not familiar with that specific one, but I am familiar with the term. In okay. So like high level, and I'm sure you'll get it right. Um, every single startup is a startup, <laughs> whether it's a crypto or a DAO or a Web3 or a blockchain or this or that, right? Um, and the first thing uh, that uh, you know, Silicon Valley has put out that you need to do as a startup is find product market fit, right? It is. It isn't about decentralizing. It isn't about like implementing the philosophies of Web three. It's about does the market want what I have, right? Are they pulling it from me, right? <laughs> do, do they really want it, right? Or am I just trying to patch this technology on? something right that is like not really a real problem right um so once you find product market fit then you move to the next stage which is kind of like this idea of um finding the true contributors and this is if your goal is decentralization of course um but you move to the second stage and when you were talking and you're you're going down we got a people team we got a, this team we got marketing we got all the traditional operations finance legal whatever uh, I started to think like when you get to the second stage of this progressive decentralization, I think initially most people are like, well, how can we get the devs who are going to contribute to the project, which is very important, right? Like we do need that. There are not that many blockchain devs out there, let alone devs in general. Um, but then you start to think like, should we be just grabbing like one or two people that are really familiar with marketing, that are really familiar with legal, that are really familiar with operations, right? And having them become those contributors. Because if you are trying to progressively decentralize, the way you do it is by giving the power back to the community. And the, the theory of progressive decentralization says that you should start by decentralizing to the people that have shown that they're committed to the project and know what the they're doing. <laughs> right. So I'm just seeing that. And then the third step would obviously be that there is a level of community governance that is enabled, whether it's electing a board of directors, like I've seen one of my former guests do over at endowment. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is, you know, you are a startup first, you find the contributors, AKA the early employees, right. That have now a little bit more equity stake than they might have before. And in the form of tokens, instead of, you know, your traditional uh, stock options, what have you, and then move to the, to the point where now that you have a sustainable operation, right. Then you can start to give a little bit of power back to the community. But anyways, that was, that was ended up being a little bit longer summarization, but that is progressive decentralization. I love that. I, I love how that, that's broken down. I think, um, you know, where we can improve, which is where my mind is going, where we can improve is that second one is tough. Because I think the second one is easy when you are, the second one meaning, the second point you raise, meaning performance and effectiveness, right? Not just looking at those that are most, um, you know, committed, 
but looking at the ones who know what they're doing. And yeah, don't just look useful. at people who are most active in Discord, I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> if we're trying... to the meetings yeah, and then yeah. speak philosophy all day and nothing gets done, right? <laughs> you know, I think the, 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 the problem with that second point is it's in the technical sense, if, you know, you go look at someone's commits on GitHub, right? And look at how, how active they are. Sure. So looking at the effectiveness and performance of engineers it's pretty binary. Everything else, and I would even throw BD in this, is not binary at all, at all. And I think that, um, I don't know how this is solved, but, and I'm sure, you know, some DAOs do a good job of this, uh, and, and companies in crypto do a good job of this that are truly trying to aim for decentralization. Some are, some are building crypto companies and they're the most centralized thing in the world. So let's set those aside. But ones that aim to truly be decentralized in the way they operate, in the way they are managed, and so on, um, we you need to do a bit, better job of of people having some level of, of autonomy, uh, not the entire community, and being able to tell people who can come, who can go, and, and contribute. Right? Uh, I've just seen two, and, and here's the problem: the, the way that traditionally that has been effectively solved at a super centralized organization is someone with a lot of experience is usually more senior than others and they will just fire someone. Right. Um, but doing that in a totally decentralized construct can come off the wrong way. How do you solve for that? Because the reality is unless you're coding, it is next to impossible to be able to always have a super objective argument for uh, or super quantitative argument for why someone is not hitting the mark. And experience usually fills in that hole. Some people just have a lot of pattern recognition that is not easy to write out uh, and be able to then walk someone through the calculus of why you let someone go, right? So if you then pile on, you need the whole community to be behind it. And, oh boy, I don't even, I don't know how that's going to be solved for. Well, I think, honest. you know, if, if, if we're thinking ideal, cases right um i think that the solution that has been for, put forward most often is that the difference between a web 2 resume and a web 3 resume is web 3 is supposed to be able to give you a better idea of what someone's done not where someone's been right uh and the, and the reason i say that is that you know when when you become a dao contributor right because you know most of these web3 companies are dao's or are trying to be dao's in some facet right that you are earning your chops right and based on how good of a job you did you might have earned a certain token and there's multiple companies trying to solve this problem right trying to solve the problem of like can you give people tokens and who gives them and all that and this economy is hey um we're going to get a lot, a certain amount of tokens to you because you are involved in this project. And if you have contributors that are contributing in meaningful ways, give those away, right? And as they accumulate those tokens, right, then they can take that kind of resume, right, to the next DAO or to the next Web3 project and say, hey, the person that I was working with gave me these because I was effective, right? Um, and, and now I'm building up to the idea that they're earning web three experience, even though they may not have had much web two experience. So is that the right way? Is it solvable? Are we there yet? I don't know. Right. But the idea that you are earning in that capacity, as opposed to, Hey, I worked here for a certain period of time, right. 
is is unique. I would agree with that. It is. And uh, I think, you know, are we there yet where a, um, a model like that is effective? I don't think so. There's no way. Um, and we're seeing that right now because that obviously a big part of a, a prerequisite for that working uh, at any meaningful scale is that people have built up uh, you know, uh, this, these reputation scores based on tokens earned and whatever else. And then of course the organizations by which these tokens have been deployed and given out, they have a certain stature and reputation too. Right. Uh, and that doesn't exist either yet to an extent. Um, so it's, it's, that's a very difficult one. And I think, um, we are a ways away from that being programmatic in any sense, which is fine. I can, this goes back to the word progressive, right? It's just, it's, we get a, we have to progress there in some way. And if we look at a particular gradient of this progression, we have to be okay with its baby steps, right? Yeah. Crawl, walk, run to that. Yeah. And, and look, all these things, they require some level of network effects, right? And this space has only been, uh, active for such a relatively short amount of time, right? It's you, you don't like you were saying, like you don't have enough time for people to to have earned from all these different organizations. And on top of that, if you are the organization that's just whose job it is to distribute tokens because someone did something the right way, how do you keep up with all the various organizations, right? It takes time to go find all these organizations, the ones that have done it right. And there's going to be a lot of BS along the way, frankly, right? There's going to be people that yeah. are like helping each other out, throwing like, you know, like how do you get past that layer? I think is, will be a big step in, in the right direction in terms of that kind of, you know, somewhat idealistic at this point, but hopefully a reality at some point. Cause I, I do agree with it. I think that uh, there's a lot of credibility given to people solely for where they worked and for how long and, and what their title was. Um, and, and, and for the most part, it's, it's a pretty good solution. Um, but you know, if you're living in Silicon Valley and you're jumping around from sales job to sales job and going to smaller companies and getting better titles, you, someone might get the impression that you're a really good salesperson, right? Meanwhile, you, they, you just stuck around for a little while, just long enough. Just to, an impression. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you. Uh, yeah. And I, I, you know, the caveat to all that is yes, this is idealistic. But I think that if that is possible, if crypto or Web3 or whatever you want to call it is the impetus for something like that, for actually giving people the credibility they deserve for the things they do uh, inside organizations, I think also what ends up happening is that it enables more of a transaction-based uh, employment style, right? So you may have people that are really good at one little specific thing, right? And they earned a token for that thing, right? And they come in, they do that thing, and they move on to the next organization. Up until this point, full-time employment, it makes more sense because the transaction costs to do something like that are way too high. But Web3 presents an opportunity to kind of reduce those transaction costs, in my opinion. I agree with that. I, I agree. It's, a, it's well put. And I think um, this is what we're talking about here is actually probably out of everything we've spoken about where, you know, the whole centralized versus decentralized, where on the spectrum should you be is the biggest gray area because you won't, in many ways, you are not pushing this forward if you are not totally committed to operating 
uh, as a decentralized structure, because then you're not going to have the data, the inputs necessary to be able to to create um, some predictive model around what you're talking about. Uh, and then on the other hand, it's, well, these things got to move forward and they need to be effective and functional in some capacity. So I almost wonder as if, you know, you just put a line in the sand where, okay, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, kind of progressively move to a DAO once we have gone enough things right from a product market fit standpoint where it's creating value. And then, you know, however uh, sharp or not, you then go to something that's totally decentralized. Because then at that point, you're building up enough, well, enough momentum, but then also the, the quality of inputs might be better, right? Uh, and, and because then you've moved to a totally decentralized standpoint where how are you compensating people, let's say, right? Yeah. So maybe you start compensating people in a way that's not totally driven by some programmatic contract. Um, but this is a, this is a tough one. This is a tough one, Zach. Yeah, it is. And, and I think when you're talking, the one thing that came into mind is like, not everything needs to be decentralized again, right? So like how many companies will there be uh, that will adopt this model such that the network effects you need for something like that reward system to be effective, right? Like you, you see what I'm saying? Like there's kind of like yeah. a catch 22 there, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah, and, I agree. And, and who knows if we get there, who knows if we get there. Exactly. Um, there's exactly. gotta, there's gotta, we got the, the core takeaway there is, is still, this is a technology looking for a problem in many senses, right? As opposed it to is. actually fixing a problem. Um, so yeah, we'll see where we go. Uh, we're nearing the top of the hour. Uh, again, a great conversation with you as usual. Uh, and Zach. I can say that now. Uh <laughs> yeah, for sure, Zach. No, I've enjoyed this, man. We always have this is these are quality uh exchanges and conversations that hopefully uh hopefully they're useful to 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 some people out there and and can you know leave some impact if nothing else they're useful to us right i mean exactly right exactly. Us out no, this has been great i learned about i know what my weekend reading is now <laughs> yeah yeah i'll i'll ask uh, i'll send it to you um please show. please do um but i wanted to give you an opportunity to provide some since we don't have like a, a forward-looking closing question to provide kind of sure. some closing remarks i know that you are you know knee deep in the developer world i know that the regulatory environment has changed a lot i know that the merge just happened um so i just want to kind of give you the open mic to kind of you know say what you will about the current state of things and the current state of 186 sure uh the easy one current state of 186 if you're an early stage founder and builder uh and you want to work with investors in web3 let's say and you want to work with investors that are you know we know how this world works we knows what what we know uh, a great deal of what is needed to be successful in it but at the same time want to partner with folks that have built you know organizations that have endured even if they weren't decentralized we're here. Let us know. Uh, we are a complement to a lot of other investors in the ecosystem. We have a lot of great success stories. Uh, but I would say the former, what I'll leave people with, boy, is this such a, a, a heavily contested debate these days. But um, for embrace regulation in some sense, um, you don't have to let it take over all parts of the ecosystem. But what I would just ask people to think about are those particularly in emerging markets uh, that can really make use of next generation financial services that 
just will not happen anytime soon if we don't embrace regulation in developed markets like the U.S. Uh, it, it, it's daunting. It's startling. Uh, but I think it's a healthy progression. Uh, and it's not just as builders, as developers, and people who, who have projects in this space embrace regulation, but the gatekeepers, right? The crypto native folks, what I say to all of you is um, create an environment to be able to discuss these things openly. Uh, because I think what ends up happening is it's a lose-lose. People who believe in regulation, uh, you know, they don't feel comfortable having being open with their honest thoughts. People who don't believe in regulation, they continue to alienate some of the smartest people in the world to build in this. And ultimately, the biggest use case I've seen today is stablecoins and the kind of you know, digital asset innovation. Because digital assets aren't, isn't just crypto, right? There's a whole world of mobile money out there, which is also a digital asset. So we're pushing the world of digital assets forward. And we're talking about humans here. We're talking about human lives. Let's keep those people in mind when we talk about how an industry or technology, however you want to describe it as, progresses. And as long as everyone is using that as a constant, I'm confident we're going to move forward. Uh, but it takes a village to be on the same page. We're not there yet. I hope to be there soon. And a dynamic village at that right it's yeah uh, for sure we needed the hardcore evangelist to push this over the line that's why we absolutely did. it took years and multiple massive bear markets to get there but now we've got to iterate right if you if you really want to see the full potential of this you've got to iterate and you've got to integrate into what is available now um so that's it's a great way to close out thanks again for coming on giuseppe this was an awesome conversation thanks zach appreciate it very much Thanks for tuning in to Web3 with me. If you enjoyed the show and want to help us grow, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore French underscore. <laughs>